And also, let's just be honest about something. There are apps, and I'm willing to tarnish this one, that are extremely famous for their gamification. Although, I don't see where the gamification is. Like, for instance, Duolingo. Get me one single person on this big blue earth that ever managed to form a proper sentence or carry a conversation after going through Duolingo. Okay, so you know your bonjours and you know your chows. Good for you, boo-boo. <laughs> but you cannot carry out a conversation. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. All right, welcome back, everybody. On today's show, we're doing a gamification special. So who better to talk to than gamification enthusiast Mo Ash? Mo is the founder and gamification designer at The Catalyst, an innovative learning and development company that focuses on empowering individuals and organizations through transformative learning experiences. He has also spoken about gamification at events and webinars. Mo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I am looking forward to our conversation today because today is almost like a niche special on gamification. And I personally am very intrigued by the whole thing. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to say, all the insights that you're going to share today. So I'm excited for our conversation today. And I'm afraid. So good. It's a good balance. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good balance (laughs) to even each other out. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You need a balance. (laughs) Well, let's start off easy. I would love to know just more about your background and what got you into gamification in the first place. I was never into gamification to start with. I mean, I was into games. That could be a thing. I mean, I'm the product of board games, of long, long nights of playing, not Monopoly, but I grew up playing a board game called Risk and Ticket to oh. Ride and D&D. So we're talking six hours straight. We're talking heaps of sandwiches and long nights with my cousins. And that was basically it to me. Games like board games, Lego. True, I did pass through the Sega phase and the Nintendo phase. And I belonged to the generation that exhibited and was mesmerized by DOS and Windows (laughs) 95 and Windows (laughs) 11.3. The one that started at the beginning. So that's the generation that I grew up within. But I actually majored in human resources management and I didn't want to work in HR. I wanted to work in the United Nations, and accordingly, I did work in the UN, in UNESCO, in scientific department for a couple of years, and hated myself, wanted to stab myself (laughs) to die. So I had a career shift, and I got into training and development, which later on became L&D. So learning and development continued on in that pathway. And after getting to be a training manager and then ended up being a consultant on L&D frameworks, competency matrix, talent development, I was going into that caveat. And I just stumbled upon this job opportunity for a company that does homegrown business board game simulations. And the job was come and be a product owner. At that time, I didn't have a job. I was basically doing freelance and gigs and projects and consultancies. And that was a good full-time job to consider. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be running board games. What's so hard about that? Well, 
Seven months in, I became responsible for R&D. More months in, I became the <laughs> R&D manager. Give it a two years, a year and a half, I became the business partner. And <laughs> I paid money to like, you know what, uh, bibs, I want some of that. I need to get you more You leveled up it. within that game alone. Oh yeah, it was intense. So yeah, I'm more of an instructional designer rather than a trainer. Training is a job. Instructional design is also a job, but instructional design, I'm extremely passionate about how to put systems into play. And that's what made me enjoy and love gamification way too much because gamification is basically a system and connections. And basically, I'm afraid you're excited. We even things out. We know how to keep a form of engagement because too much excitement, well, that's a way for a disaster and too much being frightened. That's, well, we're going to make the Blair Witch movie at that point. So it's either on one of those two ends, but a mix of both and being able to get the people in that kind of equilibrium. This is what gamification is really all about to keep them in that sustained form while in my alley of craftsmanship, it's also getting them to learn something along the way, whether that is through a gamification campaign, gamification systems, learning journeys, or even game-based learning experiences. Or, you know what, like miniature games. We have like card games. I'm looking up because I have a card game here that we created. (laughs) We have board games that we've created. And yeah, I left the company afterwards and I was like, you know what? I'm going to open up my own thing. I'll be creating games that I do appreciate and I want to do for my clients because I'm an awful person with my clients because the client comes to me and be like, I want a game. I'm like, why do you want the game? (laughs) You're like, why uh, on earth will you bother me by making you a game? Because sometimes as a consultant, (laughs) because sometimes the solution is trivial or It's needless to do a game. And maybe in our discussion, we'll talk about, you know what? Sometimes a game can be not in your favor. It can go against what you really want. I'll give you a couple of examples. I was just going to ask you, jump to my next question. I was going to say, what are some examples of that? The one that I did mention before, and actually I do hold a podcast and I had one of the people that I will call a guru in gamification, we had that off the air and we talked about it. And then we hinted at it during the episode because it was just too good. So uh, this big cosmetics company, they come to me and they're like, we want a board game. I'm like, why? Because we want to onboard people and get all people together onto the ideation and the principles of AR, IoT, VR, AI, ML, you know, all just, the acronyms. Let, let, let me go on Google and get all the abbreviations that you can find. Okay. This make us a game and let people know about it. So it's like, okay. Okay. Why do you want to do that? Well, because gamification, like, okay. So are you like jealous of other companies? So you thought maybe you could do that. So you wouldn't feel less or what's going on. And thank God, one of the people that was with me on the call actually knew me. So I managed to carry out those puns sometimes, but I wouldn't (laughs) get away with it with other people. But I was like, so you want to do a game to onboard people about all of that. May I ask a question? Do you even use any of that? No. Okay. How far are you willing to use it? Not much. Not at this point. Bear in mind, this was during like early time COVID. And the best part didn't come yet. I was like, how many people you want them to play that game? I mean, apparently you want this game to be online. Yeah. Yeah. So online gives me constraints. 
because I need development and I need dev teams. And sometimes I can do no code, but I need to use a third party software. I'm like, we want 150 people to play this game at the same time. I'm like, that's a fleet. How? And people from what departments? Finance, HR, marketing, okay. operations, dev. I'm like, so basically you're talking about almost the entire population. Yeah. Simple. Simple. To play at the same time. Not like parallel teams or like current. No, 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 no. At the same time. One single game. So after many deliberations, I propose scavenger hunts and different things while telling people how you can take the knowledge that you get to utilize in day-to-day activities and Mm -hmm. day-to-day tasks. Because I told them, you need to give people substance and meaning because gamification without a meaningful destination or something that people can eat upon, it's useless. And you'll be paying me for no reason. So you need to take that and put it in. So we're going to do a huge scavenger hunt and people will do it at the same time. We'll get like online facilitators to do that with us. Da, 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 da. The project never launched. Why? Because they were hooked on the idea of making a board game. And it never launched by me or anyone else because they saw something another company did. And that company bought an existing board game that does nothing but spinning wheels and like doing trivia. So they thought they could top it and do something different, then call it gamification. At one hand, this is not gamification. On the other hand, you're not really getting any benefit to your people or even on ROI to start. So that was one of like the famous times when I had a client that knew nothing. And by the way, many people do not really know about gamification that well, and I don't hold it against them. My point is, why are you venturing into this specific discipline, genre, approach, strategy? It's an approach that we can use when we need to, not use it all the time. That's not how it should be. Right. Actually, you brought up a lot of great points as you talked about that and some really great snippets about how you should be thinking about gamification. I guess the why behind it, because even to myself, I don't know all about gamification because I think it's also sometimes used as a buzzword. Because Mm -hmm. when you hear the word gamification, you just think in your mind, gamify it. Something where you're playing something, interacting with something. But I want to talk about what it actually is and just the whole psychology behind it, because what's interesting. So let's dive into the whole topic of gamification and maybe start with What's the psychology behind it and why does it work? And what's the actual levers behind why gamification works? Okay, well, I wouldn't really call it only psychology. I mean, psychology, Mm -hmm. sociology, behavioral sciences in general. In behavioral science analysis, it really goes into specific tenets, which is avoidance of any form of loss or threats or defeat seeking attention. We love ego stroking. We love bragging rights. It's normal. That's where you get your herd mentalities and your social status biases. And well, this is like high school all over again, like jocks, emos, gods. I know there are no emos or gods anymore, but like (laughs) jocks, emos, gods, and nerds. And to the end of all that. Shout out to all the metalheads that are here. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so you have this and also you got your people that are also asking for instant gratification. So you have seeking attention, avoidance, instant gratification, forms of reinforcement. All of this together makes up 
behavioral analysis. This is what behavioral analysis is all about. To take it a step further, on one hand, gamification works on offering people the enough agency, slow, getting better at what they do one step at a time till they get to an epic meaning, calling, meaningful destination somewhere that makes sense. And this follows one of the absolutely famous frameworks in motivational psychology, which is done by Ryan and Deshi. It's called the self-determination theory. So the self-determination theory is basically, I want to work on people's means of autonomy, skill acquisition and mastery, and also relatedness. And relatedness is relatedness to the people and relatedness to the end purpose. And this is where you get Okay, I have my autonomy, so autonomy makes me either avoid or look for gratification. I get my mastery. I want to avoid not being good at something, and I am seeking the gratification. And it goes on this way. And a superficial and trivial, the way I'm mentioning it, I know I'm mentioning it in a very shallow way, it actually has grounded research and extreme experiments that have been done over the years. People really care about their form of intrinsic motivation rather than extrinsic motivation and like extrinsic rewards or that form of rooms expectancy motivation that if I expect this to happen, I am going to be better at something. I mean, I'm not tarnishing it. It's good. But if it's not backed up with a person's will and motive to go forward towards something, no power on earth can make me do something I do not want to do. So this is the essence of what gamification is. And then you couple it with others. We put gamification systems, but while we put it, we're trying as much as possible to minimize friction, to minimize obstacles, to minimize hurdles. This is when the science of decisions and cognitive science comes into play. Cognitive psychology and behavioral sciences start to take forward these actions by putting the sunk cost fallacy or the decoy effect, or the endowment effect, or priming people, or calling all game ballers, game ballers, and we're that flock of people, we're that herd. Like how I call my people, they're called the catalyst. And they get that pride over time. I mean, I have over 100 graduates that came out of our programs, and when they're in the market, this is pure behavioral science, has nothing to do with gamification, Mm -hmm. but when they're in the market, oh, you're from the catalyst? Yes, I'm from the catalyst. They have that form of ingrained Pride. So priming people and getting people into a certain social status, like how you have people that wear Nikes and others that wear Adidas and they get into those fights. Although both shoes are just good. There you go. I, <laughs> I was going to say, I'm a Nike gal. And I'm an Adidas guy. Adidas, uh... <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you're going to be using your social status, I'm gonna, going to be using mine. And in whatever way I'm trying to convince you to change the status quo, It's not going to be that easy. So you got those and also you have availability heuristics. You got confirmation biases. You got your anchoring biases. We piggyback on behavioral science to either do one of two things. To use those concepts to remove the friction from our gamification systems to make people more inclined to learn, to utilize the system, to buy something, to get into something, or we actually make note of it so we wouldn't be using it and we start to build barriers towards it. And also, let's just be honest about something. There are apps, and I'm willing to tarnish this one, that are extremely famous for their gamification, although 
I don't see where the gamification is. Like, for instance, Duolingo. I was going to say, I actually, my first guess when you said you're willing to tarnish it, I was going to say my guess is that you're going to say Duolingo because everyone assumes Duolingo is the first example for gamification because I think it's the only example they have in mind. And it's the worst example because Duolingo started at first without the gamification system. And they weren't really doing that good. Mm -hmm. So they used gamification for what? For lead generation to attract more customers. To get more people on board while marketing the fact that Duolingo is gamified and it can help you learn a language. Get me one single person on this big blue earth that ever managed to form a proper sentence or character conversation after going through Duolingo. Okay, so you know your bonjours and you know your chows. Good for you, (laughs) boo-boo, but you cannot carry out a conversation. I used to have this passion towards, I need to work on my French again. I have good pronunciation. I can do that. So I went into Duolingo for like two weeks and I just hated myself. This is not going to help me. This is not taking me anywhere. And this is when I started like, I'm a researcher. Let me research this. This doesn't work. And I went and I digged and I got dirt. Duolingo's promise is to teach you how to speak a language. Not a single person can speak a language as a result of only Duolingo. It can give you words. It can level you up. You're engaged. You're glued. There's no friction. It's easy. It's aesthetically pleasing. You're there, but it's without substance. And that's what I hate. When people use those frameworks, those disciplines, and use it only for garnering cash, they're ruining the business. They're ruining a good discipline. That's the point. And so I'm curious to know because, and I guess this might just be my opinion because A, I'm not super educated in the space of gamification and how it all works and the levers behind it. But I feel like it's actually quite hard and need to be very creative in order to get the factors of gamification working for a business, for a game, for whatever you might be using it for. I'm mm-hmm. curious to know, what do you think the role of data plays in gamification? So what I mean by that is I'm also always thinking on the lens of our customers who might be listening to this, for example. So there are Shopify businesses who might want to use gamification for their businesses to interact with their user or their customers and have mm-hmm. some sort of elevated experience. But we always come to this topic of data and how it plays a role in loyalty, in retention, in gamification, in this, in that. So I'm curious to know, what do you think is the role of data? Because I think it also kind of plays into what you're talking about of using it properly so that you actually reach the intended outcome, not just slapping on a title that says, we are gamified in some way. Well, let's open up the gamification Bible, which is the MDA. And the MDA is a very well-known framework in game design and game research. It's mechanics, dynamics, and aesthetics. So mechanics is basically the heart and soul of gamification. As a matter of fact, I like to call them the steam engines. These are the engines that move a specific system forward. And when I do the mechanics, the byproduct of it, the result of it, the thing that we see when we see customers, in my case, learners or like salespeople, whatever the audience would be, is they are acting in a certain way. They are feeling certain feelings. They are moving in certain directions that we have orchestrated. 
that's dynamics. So yes, designers do not design dynamics. We design mechanics so we can see dynamics come into life. And all of that is wrapped within the overall aesthetics, the look and feel, the overall experience and engagement. That could be fun, dramatic, adventure, sci-fi, medieval, in my case, and Fantasia, because I do enjoy that a lot. So all of that is the MDA. So where's data coming into play? To me, I put a huge factor on contextual analysis. I need to know, Mr. Customer, Mr. Client, Miss Client, I want you to tell me, what's your environment? How is it the social support on your side? How is your culture like? How do you work? Where do you work? What do you do? Is there HR support? What kind of tech are you using? The tech on the surface, the tech under the radar, because not a lot of companies would say that they're using WhatsApp that much or text messages, but they would say that they're using their Slacks and their Yammers and maybe LinkedIn, for instance. But you might find a lot of people within the company actually using WhatsApp or even Discord. You need also to know the mental status of people. Are they getting promoted? Is there any form of career progression? Is there any push or support, not social support, they are in any form of support or they're demotivated? For crying out loud, I'm not going to be doing a business with people that already have issues and then tell them, oh, smile, put a smile on your face, make a better life. It's not going to work this way. So I need to understand the overall context. The more the data I have, the better I can Start to decide, okay, so you want people accordingly to have more engagement if we're doing this for people engagement, or you want more leads, or you want to understand more about your audience, or maybe you want to teach them something. Like, for instance, we wanted to onboard 2,000 employees on a specific cultural model, and they didn't even know there was a cultural model. Oh my. I mean, there was a cultural model, and then they re innovated and changed it. And at both, they never even knew it existed. So don't tell me to come and push forward something. Apparently, I need to onboard them onto the idea first, and then we'll do the cultural model. So data is everything. Without data, I cannot do a single thing. I wouldn't know the actions. I wouldn't be able to know the mechanics that I can use. And accordingly, if I do not know those mechanics, do not expect a specific targeted dynamic to come into play. And also, I need to be aware of diversity, inclusion, equity. Certain aesthetics might not work with certain organizations in certain countries because it could be against religion. It could be against race, ethnicity, culture, culture of the organization itself. Gamification is a system of data. You know where to place the data, where to manipulate and where to introduce and when to introduce. Because sometimes you scaffold wrong, you ruin the system. Or you introduce way too much, people get overwhelmed and they start to build barriers and so on and so forth from the amount of problems that can arise. So yes, data is everything. We live in a swamp of data when it works into gamification. It's so interesting too, because even I just think of a completely separate example, the concept of UX design, just different experiences and things like that. The ones that are super simple and easy to use are the ones that were most well thought out. They were the most carefully planned in a creative way. And exactly what you just said of 
it's like the scaffolding. You got to get it right because if you have it wrong in one place, the whole thing crumbles. And it's such an intricate experience. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, let's say a company comes to you and they want to implement gamification into their business. What are some things that you would advise them or how would you guide them in a way of how they can implement gamification to their business? Well, the use cases can be so much. I mean, it can be from onboarding and training programs, obviously. Mm -hmm. You can also work on gamifying the experience of being at the company's website or at the company itself or like the organization itself, like physically there. It could be rewarding employees, but you know when you get into a game and you just open up the door, you got 100 points for opening the door? Really? See, you have to put rewards and scarcity in tandem. So if you're going to be rewarding people in an organization, it has to be of essence, it has to be scarce, and it has to be for a reason. And that's why one of the things that I did advocate about a long time ago to a client was KPIs, key performance indicators. Instead of looking at key performance indicators only from the perspective of output and results, which is needed, my background's in human resources, I did that, okay. But why not to put KPIs upon learning? And that learning not only that it's going to be mentioned in the PMS and the performance management system, but parade it, showcase. People can know about it. And you can do it bi-weekly. So you have two weeks where people are working on certain tasks, pair department, pair function, and then you got two forms of leaderboard. And I hate leaderboards. By the way, the pet peeve of any person that works on gamification is points, badges, and leaderboards. Because we hate the PBLs. We hate them. Because you put chocolate on broccoli, it's still broccoli, okay? (laughs) It's still broccoli. And I love broccoli. I don't hate broccoli. But it's not chocolate, okay? So whenever someone thinks about gamification, put points, badges, on leaderboard. Let me tell you something about leaderboard when we did this. We had a leaderboard for bi-weekly work and effort. And then we had a global leaderboard. So that bi-weekly leaderboard gets reset it every two weeks. And all of the data is then transformed, stored, put up on the global leaderboard where the entire company is competing on a totally different league. So if me and you, we get into this week's leaderboard or the next two weeks leaderboard, and as I come in, you're already 200 points or merits or whatever you want to call it, shenanigans ahead of me. I am obviously going to be pretty much demotivated to do anything. Like, oh, well, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to do it anyways, but you're better. But if I feel all the time that I'm not in a league of my own, there are others with me, I can be with others, I can still compete, there's still fuel in me to put in. I could do that. So we did that and it worked. People felt that each and every two weeks, they have a competition going on. And the competition, as much as it's a competition with their colleagues, it's actually a competition with themselves because they're competing with what they did two weeks before. And then they're competing globally with the rest of the organization on other tasks that we had to look into. How can we put the algorithm where the numerical values here can be close to the other numerical values from other departments with their other niche work and different forms of products and outcomes. 
So that was one of the ways. Sometimes companies do reward systems for top performance, and that's just awful. I wouldn't do that. Gamification, according to a paper, it's called the dark side of gamification. Anyone can look it up. So the dark side of gamification, they actually went through different institutions and governmental and private sector, and they started to monitor and observe people's behavior from a gamification system that went wrong. And I don't want to be butchering the statistics right now, but you found a lot of people that are doing the following. Some people cared more about the points rather than they care about others or work. Some people started to have fostered unethical behavior coming into play where they would do anything for progressing. Some other people didn't really give any attention to any of that. And they disregarded the game and they disregarded everything related to it. Even it affected their loyalty towards the organization. Some people started to focus on their work. And while focusing on their work, they felt that they are neglected and demotivated because they're not taking part in the overall festivity that is happening. So that's because of so many different things. Wrong scaffolding, gamification that was not built correctly, putting chocolate on broccoli, using rewards to reward the top performers when instead you should be offering employees, learners, your audience agency. Gamification, according to Karl Kopp, it's not a panacea. It's not a thing that fits everyone and everything. And I love that quote by him. It's not a panacea. And if it works with certain people, it might not work with others in the same domain, but it could work with them on other forms. The most important thing is you need to understand using data, who are your people? What are they aspiring towards? And respect that. You have to honor it. Then look into the purpose that you want to take them into and just take a moment. As an organization, is that a worthy purpose? Do they feel related to it? Gamification can be utilized to build a culture or ruin a culture. Build a culture within the organization that gravitates people further towards everyone or push them away. Main point of what I understood of what you're saying is that gamification is not the easy answer to everything. It's not going to fit every single fit case. Like it's not panacea, like you said. And I think it's interesting to think about in a way, asking a, why you might want to be doing it, the why behind your customers or your employees, or what's that guiding light because gamification could fit that or it could not depending on what they're going after. And I guess if you're able to define that why properly, you can figure out the right scaffolding. You can figure out the right way to go about this. You can figure out the intention and the motivation. And this is also something that we struggle with. How to get people off the gamification system and back into real life implementation. (laughs) The offboarding is extremely important. As important as the onboarding, I need to take, you know what, Lauren, we're done. Back to IRL, okay? Game's over. You wouldn't find a gamification system that would last for years. It's not D&D. It's not LARPing. So gamification system need to A, offer offboarding. B, keep on changing and iterating with people's means of interest, needs, and desires. Like, what do I need to do? What are my interests towards and inclined to? And what I desire to do right now to get better at what I'm doing. So if that is not changing, the game will be over pretty soon. And I need to offboard you. It's a great point. I never thought of that. I never even knew that was part of the whole concept, but that's a very fair point. (laughs) 
And I think you provided a lot of insight there because what's interesting about this topic and even just what you've been describing through your examples, through your insights, through these different frameworks of the MDA, for example, is that these are so applicable to many different situations, even just like you said, towards customers within your current organization, building culture, for example. And so I think there's so many different ways that you can think about gamification throughout ecosystem that you're in, whether it's for your current employees or for your customers and how to approach that. And if there was one main takeaway of what I learned from today's conversation was how you position that thinking in your mind and how you go about building that system and how data plays a very, very important role at the heart of all of that, (laughs) which is really interesting. So thank you so much for that. That was really interesting. It was cool to hear your insights on it, the different angles that you approach it at. And how we typically end off these conversations is my favorite part of the entire conversation, which is called the lightning round. So learning more about you with just some fun questions. So we have three lightning round questions and then one question that's based around advice. And then we're on our way to go play our games after that. So, (laughs) all right. First lightning round question. If you could go into any other industry or profession, doesn't matter if you don't actually know how to do it, what would you like to try your hand at and why? I mean, I'm a father. I'm not going to try. I need something that can give me money. I think I'm going to get the band going and go sing again. No No more karaoke. Let's get the band together. (laughs) (laughs) I love Jazz and rock from now on. (laughs) I love it. Jazz and rock, two very opposite approaches. I like it. Okay. Second question. What is your favorite gaming console and why? Xbox, hands down. I'm from the green team, guys. So to me, I like Xbox. It offers more dungeon calling games and I'm not into FPS, first person shooters that much. So I like puzzles, games like Trin, Minecraft, dungeons. All of that is interesting to me. And I like to play with my wife. So multiplayer. Very cool. Okay. And last lightning round question. What is an example of our company or brand that is getting gamification right? Well, I wouldn't say a single company. I mean, I've seen many good examples. Pepsi got it right one time with a campaign. Nike got it right one time with a campaign. Battle of the Sexes, where you were running using your Nike watch, and you were running as a female, and I'm running as a male. And there's a battle between both of them, and it encouraged. That's cool. Also, this is actually built on behavioral science because back in the 1960s, you know about the 10,000 steps. You need to take 10,000 steps. That's the goal. That was actually Japanese created. And it has a name. I can't remember the Japanese name for the life of me right now, but the name is called 10,000 Steps. It was a campaign that was built to encourage people to go to the Olympics. And it starts by taking the first steps, going to those 10,000 steps. And if you get it, you are on your way to be an athlete, to be part of the people in the Olympics. It's a very old story. The point is, since that time, it got ingrained in our heads. And many gamification systems and many campaigns were like, take those 10,000 steps, get into those 10,000 steps. And it's not easy. No one get into those 10,000 steps that easy. Yeah. So yeah, Game Ball also got it right. I can't really disclose how I got to know this information, but I'm a stalker. There are many good examples, many, many good examples. You don't really need to look at gamification as a complete on system that is applied from A to Z. Sometimes you see miniature applications of gamification in almost everything, like LinkedIn, where me and you met. LinkedIn has added this feature recently on top of your profile 
where it tells you how far your post reach and exposure has increased. This is a very sneaky, sneaky behavioral science trick. And it's always used in games to tell you this is what happened. See how you've gained interest? Do more of that. Bear in mind, your exposure dropped down in the past seven days. Work on yourself further. LinkedIn is all gamified. That's so true. Wow. I never, all of it. And I never thought of that actually as gamification, to be quite honest. I thought of that as trying to get like growth hacking of some sort. Okay. Last question, but not least is, is there a piece of life advice that someone shared with you once that has always stayed with you? It's not life advice, but it's maybe something that I do talk a lot And I've learned when I first started off in learning and development is that I hate motivational speakers and I hate people that say that they can change people and they can push people into doing certain things. And then others that parade how they had an amazing influence on others' lives. I hate that. That's why I got into learning design. That's why I got into gamification specifically because using gamification, we offer people agency. So if I could say something, just work on your own form of agency, your own means of autonomy. This can be extremely rewarding and you would always own the consequences because when you do something that is not yours or you got pushed into it, or you felt that you got led into it, and something wrong happens, this is where people get into depression. This is where people get into rejections or complete ignorance and carelessness, because you know what? I didn't sign up for this. I was pushed into it. And people Mm -hmm. over time, they build complacency. So agency is everything. Mm -hmm. Offer agency and be more of an autonomous person. That's really cool. And I think so important too, because everything can be within your control if you decide it to be that way. So it's a nice reminder to have that autonomy, have that agency and be a high agency person. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Mo. It was lovely to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal, lifetime customers, head to Gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to retain the customer retention podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.